Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time, well, Monday through Friday anyway, and what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Hank Bogler checking in every Monday like clockwork. How's Hank? Doing a hundred on the corners. What are you doing? We've had three away? days. It's faster, faster, faster. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we've had three days of the most beautiful rain we've had probably in three or four years. Just rain, rain, rain. Uh, I mean, I can't believe it. I got salmon spawning in the front yard. Well, maybe a little salmon. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I told you that uh, <laughs> people who are telling me is that we're going to go through a period of severe drought, in a region that feeds into Lake Mead, and then there would be a big monsoon that would put it all the integrity in jeopardy. Yeah, it's here now. Yeah, down in Death Valley, which is kind of a low rainfall area, I guess they got a bunch of cars completely buried, and a thousand of them stranded. They ice flood down there moved the earth. So what Anyhow. what will the um, with that kind of rain at your place? What will happen? To, I'm thinking like forage grasses are just sitting there dormant. What, oh, what it, happens? Well, the ones that survived and didn't die uh, will start to perk up. The, the The brush will brighten up. The leaves will start to pop out again. And if there's enough moisture in the ground, which it was, you know, in places it was pretty heavy rain, so there was some gravel movement. But other than that. Uh, it could make a, all the difference. It could add five pounds to every mm. lamb and ten pounds to every calf. I mean, it, it's a, it's manna from heaven. Wow. Yeah. It, it, you know, we're in such a low rainfall area. Anyhow, anything that comes along like this that perks it up, the the plants that can survive here uh, can respond to any kind of a bump, no matter when it comes. I just always marvel at the, just the growth, the plant growth, and how in a desert the plants find a way to survive and wait for that next little rain. I mean, it might be a year later, and then respond yeah, so the, quickly. There's a plant south of here they call the century plant that it, it it lasts for a very very long time, and then it can when they do have a monsoon or, or a heavy rainfall will complete its complete life cycle they call it the hundred year plant and uh, it, and it produces uh, seed everything and completes a complete life cycle with one good storm and and there's others that the shell on the seed is hard enough that it, it uh, small incidental rains will not get it to sprout it takes a gully washer or you know i mean it's like the the plant has a kind of a, a clock or, or, or a rain gauge that says this is when this is when we'll respond to that much moisture by uh, going through its entire life cycle it's just incredible yeah and then well to add to it you put all of that benefit of rain on a plant doesn't mean anything if you don't have animals, i.e. sheep or cattle. I got, I got on a guy last week in Wyoming because uh, he's in great sheep country. I did it right here on the air, by the way. He's in great sheep country, and they don't run sheep. 
it's just cheaper made for that country. Well, that was the old, uh, well, you know, when I was a small boy, there was a lot of things different. But that was the thing we always marveled about Texas. Uh, you put your sheep in first, mm -hmm. then you brought your cows in, and then you brought your goats in, and it controls your mesquite. I mean, it, you know, the, it's like there was a reawakening a uh, day before yesterday about how the mesquite's taking over parts of Texas and drying up aquifers and all, all of these things. That was around when I was a kid that, that they talked about triple grazing to control weeds and mesquite and, and different things in Texas, which we marveled that we were barely squeezing by with running a few cows. So, My first trip to Texas, I remember yes, driving to Throckmorton, Texas, and all the mesquite trees, and I was like, oh, my goodness, why don't they cut these trees? Well, I mean, now it's such an undertaking that... You, no way you could pull it off. But there'll be a correction well, come. Uh, oh, boy. I cut 800 acres of trees in a place called Samson Creek, and uh, water sprung out of the ground everywhere. I mean, it was just amazing. So, you know, if Southern Nevada Water Authority wants to come up here to mitigate the damage that they'll cause by tapping into the aquifers, They've got to remove some timber, not all of it. Open up the canopy so the water can get in the aquifer. Same thing they've got in Diamond Valley over at Eureka, Nevada. Enough farmers went in there under desert land entries in the 60s and put in circles for alfalfa. It was 150 feet to water. Now they tell me it's over 500 feet. But look around. All the mountains are now covered with pinyon and juniper because we didn't think to manage them. Uh, they were all cut in the 1880s for, for charcoal and mine timbers. It was 80 miles from Eureka, Nevada to a, a tree, for goodness sakes. Now those mountains are just black with trees, and that those acres after acres after acres are drying up the aquifers. Plus, the state engineer or whatever made a, a, you know, didn't stop the progress and kept issuing permits to drill more wells. So let's go back to this a minute before we get out of this segment. We had, you often tell us, 1934 before Taylor Grazing Act, there's 70 million sheep in the United States. Today we, we don't think we can count 5 million. What is the real reason for the crash of the infrastructure of the ownership of sheep? Is it the demand for lamb? Is it the, the, the lack of willingness for ranchers to work with sheep? What's the real core of that issue? I would say all of the above. Uh, lamb used to be the poor man's meat, and beef became king, and, of course, the Great Depression. Uh, you know, uh, I have a, a an acquaintance, an old-time acquaintance, that uh, that's how they got started. They were working for Swift & Company, and Swift & Company had loaned a lot of money to these sheep guys, and they <laughs> sold their sheep uh at market to get enough money to pay off uh, <laughs> Swift and Company and the banks, and then they collected the rest of the sheep. Some of those guys only owned ten, owed ten cents on the dollar. Uh, my grandfather actually got money back when they foreclosed on him. You know, they didn't foreclose on the guys who were completely broke, so they consolidated the sheep, and then things changed. Uh, the drought. That was, an, you know, a, a terrible thing in the 30s. All of these things, the culmination. Then the war came along, 
and there was pretty good times, but you couldn't get anybody to help you because everybody was involved in the war industries or in the war itself. And then uh, then women took those jobs, and then they needed wash and wear. At that time, the way wool was handled was not very well. And people, nobody sold the good young ewes. They sheared the, the, the price of wool was high enough. They sheared the, the buck lambs or the, or the weather lambs, and they put old dyers in the market, and people didn't want to consume it. I mean, they did just everything just almost to crush it. Plus, the cattlemen, when they passed the Taylor Grazing Act, were all involved in the same ground. And after the bad years of the 1890s, the sheep guys got in. And who were they? Basque, Irish, Scotchmen that had fled the old country for a new life. And they came here. Greeks, there were even a bunch of Greeks came out of the mines. Even right here, some Chinese people came out of the mines in Eureka. And, and they used the forage, and they were all in this huge fight. Well, the cattlemen had a lot of power. So the Taylor Grazing Act, if you ask a bunch of those old-time sheep guys, and we were not tramp sheep herders, was written in the 1970s that, that talked about that. The Taylor Grazing Act was to destroy the sheep industry, and by gosh, they did a good job. <laughs> well, with the current attack on the, the cow, I think it'd be wise for somebody, maybe me, to just spend more time on getting into the actual details that led to that, because that's pretty significant. 70 million head in practically a, a generation goes away. Roll out. Yeah. Hank Vogler. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more after this. The Certified Piedmontese Opportunity for the Cattleman and the Consumer is there every single day. For the Cattleman, how about a $180 coupon above market price at a six-weight calf? That's exactly what the contract says you can accomplish. What? No, not, not what you can. What you will accomplish. It's not like you need to meet a threshold and then you get that. You wean these calves, you get them ready for six weeks, boom, they're going to weigh 600 pounds plus. They can weigh 800. That's fine too. But the minimum is 600, and six weeks after weaning, Lone Creek comes, picks them up, takes them away. If you're a Great Plains cattleman and that sounds interesting to you, then contact them through the website, Lone Creek Cattle Co. Com. If you're a consumer and want to know what we're talking about and why there's so much buzz about tender beef, it's, we do a great job. I don't do it. We do a great job on certified Piedmontese on all social media outlets. Check out the photos and the pictures. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside Hank Bugler studying the demise of the sheep business i think the majority of it you're spot on would have to be just a failure to market lamb and wool <clears throat> in a way that creates demand or sustains yeah. demand and i'm not putting the onus on ladies but they were housewives and then the second world war they got into the war industry because there were no men around and and they're they're uh they wanted wash and wear. And at that time, we hadn't done any, you know, wool was king and everything was made out of wool or cotton, one or the other. And all of a sudden, these ladies needed something that they did not have to send to the dry cleaners as much. So they wanted something that they, and, and we came up with wash and wear and, and 
uh, clothing that, that uh, wasn't as demanding. And wool being king, nobody put any emphasis on comfort index or anything like that, which, you know, I mean, it, it's happened all over the world. Australia went from 150 million head of sheep to 70 million head of sheep. Right. New Zealand, 60 head of sheep, 24 million head of sheep. Uh, and they have no natural predators and have everything for a wire in Australia that we saw when we went to Adelaide. I mean, we're competing against people. Uh, the, the Tom Bates, I went out to his place, 6,000 sheep and 600 head of cows. And he had one hired man. And then during the busy season, they hired Rouseys. And the Rouseys came and helped him shear or ship or whatever. But they didn't have full time. Everything was under wire. They just had one guy on a four-wheeler that just moved them from one paddock to the other and fixed fence. That was it. I mean, we're competing against that, and we have the government against us. Uh, we have the environmentalists uh, saying we're evil because those things came from Europe. Uh, we have all these different entities that are on our back and labor shortages. I'm, I'm getting my uh, address looked at <clears throat> Thursday and Friday. You know, Every succeeding generation thinks they invented sex, which is an oxymoron. And we think we have invented the trouble with our government and the apathy that we've had for so long that it's allowed things to change. I probably won't quote this exactly the way it was said. I was very small when this man was around. But there's a saying that this man put together. And it's the price of good men for the indifference of political affairs. That price is being ruled by evil men. And that was Plato. That was quite a few years ago. That was, was a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Uh, look at Vladimir Putin. I know you have a bigger yacht than he does, but a $700 million yacht's not enough. Billions of dollars in the bank. Total power. Uh, all of his cronies are being taken care of. Uh, we have we have Xi Jinping who wants to replace Mao himself as the new Mao Zedong. Uh, the old people keep their heads down because they remember 50 million of them getting starved to death uh, and shot opposition i mean how much more money is that you know i mean he's it's power it's 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 a megalomania whatever uh you know all all the time you see this this people crop up and we either by fear or apathy run and hide and and we allow these people maduro and venezuela i mean all of these people it becomes you know a, a brain disease or something that they get into you know, uh, they take the guns away. They take your personal freedoms away. Uh, they ignore the Constitution or whatever the government was originally formed. You know, South America was pretty well controlled by Spain and Portugal. And they rebelled. And, and now they're duplicating the same thing. And so the people are coming up here. Nobody's piling into the, into the streets, putting on their moccasins and heading for Venezuela. They're getting the heck out of Venezuela and Cuba and all these other tyrannical dictatorships so it, the human nature is the part we have to watch all the time and we're not doing that we've allowed apathy to set in 
and we will pay the consequences unless we wake up. So I think it does require an in-depth look at, uh, and this is going to play really well because this is going to be about as uncouth as anything you can do in today's world. How the world has changed since the women went to the workforce. Well, it has. Oh, it's huge. uh, It's huge. And and I I know that there's a lot of people who are not going to take that well. But you look at what has happened to the educational system since women went to the workforce. You look at what's happened to the economy. Now it's to the point where every family feels like they have to have two or three jobs or live on in a complete complete dependence of the government. But the whole dynamics are different since the Waltons was no longer cool. That goes back to what Plato said. I mean, it's indifference. Okay. uh, For whatever reason, the freedom, uh, maybe the birth control pill, uh, that was a big deal. But women's rights. Hey, what about when they got the vote? You Mm -hmm. know, did that start to change politics? You know, Blame uh, Wyoming for that. I was just there. (laughs) Yes, that's right. But no, it's just a matter of uh, of huge shift. For thousands of years, women took care of the babies, and and the men worked. Well, then who got involved in that? Mm-hmm. Don't forget. Now we've gotten to the point where you have to have two jobs. The wife pays the taxes, and the husband pays the car payment and the mortgage. The government has got into it. It's the same way with education. Everybody thought when I was a child, that a a college education, they escaped the Great Depression better than anybody else. So getting a college education became paramount. So we made colleges, junior colleges, all these advantages to get a good education, and that was the key to success. So what did we do? Everybody couldn't afford to go to college. Uh, I worked two or three jobs. Everybody I knew worked two or three jobs. Etc. Etc. We we were a bit envious of the people who could send their kids to college, and and they didn't have to work. They so, the government started having loans, 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 Pell grants, all kinds of things for kids to get that good education. And what happened? The colleges raised the price of tuition to the point where you got to you got to take out a second mortgage on your house to get through one year. It cost me $176 to pack 18 credits to 23 credits. I, well, when I packed 23 credits in one semester because I was broke, I was, I was running a ranch in Yarrington, Nevada. I had to drive 100 miles to school every morning. I needed 23 credits to graduate. And a hundred less than $200 for for my uh, tuition, what is it? You can't get one class for two hundred bucks now. No. Why? Because the government got in it. The government got in it when 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 women went to work in the workplace, and <clears throat> they absolutely got into it. And the taxes continued to go up and up and up and up. Yeah, there's just so much of that that I. I... I mean, it's hard for me now not to believe that it wasn't all a calculated effort for the long game. I know every day I sound more and more like a conspiracy theorist, but if you think about how all of these things, and it all stems around education, 
and what has happened and what you just said with the cost of education and then you have to have government help to get an education and then oh by the way you're going to tell you're going to be educated in the way that the government thinks that you need to be educated i mean it's like a two-generation plan to be where we're at today and people now i'm now seeing people at every walk of life who did not want to pay attention to politics who are saying oh we got to do something yeah well the the stove's getting fairly hot yeah and and that's that's the thing can can we survive did people enough people wake up to stop this crap i mean uh read the animal farm some animals are uh (laughs) better than other animals uh etc etc i mean it's it's just what we're we're george orwell hit the nail on the head 1984, the year I graduated from high school. Fantastic. More. The second half of Roll Route. Hank Vogler after this. And now we talk about immune health. We talk about health in general. The world's authority on nitric oxide production. Dr. Nathan Bryan explains. We've got about 14 COVID clinics around the U.S. where we have a a nitric oxide drug trial going on. I'm exposed to COVID probably every day. You know, pre-COVID, we as humans are exposed to viruses and bacteria every day of our life. That's just the world we live in. Some people get sick, some people don't. Why do some people get sick and why do others not? It all boils down to their ability to generate nitric oxide and to have certain things replete in their body like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, selenium. If you're nutrient deficient, you're going to get sick. If you can't make nitric oxide, you're going to get sick. If you do all these things, you can be exposed to to COVID or any other virus, and your immune system nips it in the bud, and you don't get sick from it. It's really that simple. We're going to change this ordering process up to make it simpler. Go to loosetailsmedia.com, loosetailsmedia.com. There will be an order mechanism there, and if you want more of the science, I'll get that to you from Dr. Nathan Bryan. Loosetailsmedia.com. It's N-O-2-U. The, the product's the same. The place you get it is different. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside Hank Vogler. Really walking back through history and how we've been led like a bunch of lemmings. Thank you, thank you. I knew that was coming. Thank you. People oh, not that dumb. I did uh, look up Plato. You didn't paraphrase it. You nailed it word for word. The price good men pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by in- evil men. Yeah. Well, he he was my third grade teacher, and uh, <laughs> you know, he made us memorize that. Okay, it's one thing. Wait, when was Plato? Oh gosh, I think he was he was before the birth of Christ, wasn't he? I think so too. So my question is, and, and I guess this speaks to the Bible and our ability to maintain these things. But um, so through a couple thousand years, how do we keep track of that quote? Because it's not like somebody put it on their computer and saved it. Uh, must have been, well, the Gutenberg Press was invented, I think, in 1644. Until then, everything was copied by hand. Uh, and very few people that, I, I don't believe 1% of the population could read or write. So, you know, you, you could find any point in history to where history became mm-hmm. a, a new paradigm. But, uh, yeah. 300 and- Somewhere along... 347 B.C. Yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. No wonder I got gray hair. 
Okay, but to my point, this this quote from 347 BC could have been written in 2022. I mean, what do we think we're doing if we think we're going to change something? <laughs> well, I think that's what happens. The culmination of oppression, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, builds up to a point. It, it, uh, you know, my, my being the office in, in grade school, Attila the Hun may not have tripped your trigger, but he must have got somebody to go with him. He didn't march into to the Roman Empire by himself. Uh, you know, uh, Chiang Kai-shek went to Taiwan. I don't think China ever had control of, in modern history, of Taiwan. I mean, uh, why did they build the Great Wall of China 3,000 years ago or whenever that was? That was to keep out barbarians. I mean, that's in the mitochondria of, of the human species. It's been going on for a long time. And then something lasts a couple hundred years, and then it changes. And and sometimes the change is to be ruled by tyranny. Other, and and uh, so far, I don't think there's anything other than the American experience that changed it from oligarchs and kingdoms and uh, very exclusive people running the show to the common, ordinary people running the show. That is why all over the world, the stop in America is paramount because it lets the great unwashed, the peasants, have the upper hand. And boy, you know, there is a lot of people in the world that think they're a little better than you and me and should be in charge because, uh, after all, did I ever tell you how important I am? I mean, that's the first part, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Let me pause here and remind you I'm important. <laughs> yes, yeah. and don't you forget. <laughs> you know, I mean, look at our history. The, the, there used to be a saying, it's not worth a continental. That was because after the revolution, the money printed by the United States wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Then we got went along, we got into the War of 1812, England tried to, take back over Britannia, these upstarts, these colonists. Then we got to the Civil War, where we fought over states' rights, and yes, that was part of the problem with that, is is slavery. There's no question about it, but it was basically states' rights versus a strong central government. And, And that argument went on. The country was once again broke, but everybody just dropped everything and moved somewhere. And uh, the carpetbaggers came in and took over areas. That was just natural as natural. Then in the 1890s, we got in trouble. 1907, I understand that was the worst stock market crash ever. And the very wealthy people, the Carnegies, the Morgans, the Roosevelts, loaned the federal government into staying into business. They were broke. Then Herbert Hoover come along in the late 1920s. We had a crash. We had the roaring 20s. We had the expansion of industrial complex, and and people thought there'd never be another dark day, uh, and and it crashed. Well, then a gentleman by the name of Franklin Delano Bolshevik Roosevelt came along, <laughs> and what did he do? Was that his birth the mother normal. that gave him that Bolshevik title in there, or was that later added on? Ah, <laughs> uh, my granddad did that to him. <laughs> but he comes along. He does the three things that the economists 
says you're not supposed to do when the stock market goes down and times are tough. They raised taxes, they raised the interest rates, and they restricted trade. Well, gee whiz, we're in a recession, whether you want to label that or not, how long it'll last is dependent on a government of how silly they get. They want to spend another $480 billion, which will cause more inflation, so the interest rates will go up. They're going to hire 87,000 more people to come and shake you down and go through your underwear drawer looking for uh, the pennies that you've been throwing in that uh, gallon jug for the last 25 years to get that away from you. And uh, restricting trade is is uh, happening in a kind of a different sort of way. We're going green, and so we're not going to raise as much food. I mean, everything points to we're on the verge of a disaster. And I know that everybody that ever talks about anything, oh, we're on the verge of a disaster. Well, uh, this one is, is, I'm the canary in the coal mine. The government out here is trying to destroy all private enterprise. It's just absolutely, and they're doing it by just sitting on their heels, sitting in their offices, staring out the window rather than doing anything, whether it's destroying the range, letting them wild horses so they don't have any problems there, with the wild horse advocates or or letting the NEPA process destroy every project to uh, extract minerals or build a road or do anything. All these things are done to grind everything to a halt but keep them in power. That's what's going on. So I figured out one other thing this week, and it's tied into everything you just described. My trip to Wyoming was extremely insightful because Wyoming is about 50%, I think it's 48%, federally owned and 52% privately owned but in the month of May and I think you and I might have briefly talked about this the month of May this year there was a 35,000 acre ranch just outside of Casper that sold to the Bureau of Land Management and they paid 1.7 times market value for this ranch and there's a couple things I wanted to pursue with that number one it's protocol that any time a federal government or an agency is going to purchase a resource in a state that they work with the legislators and the governor to make that happen. The governor of Wyoming learned about this purchase by reading it in the newspaper. Secondly, I, I people ask me all the time about Bill Gates buying land. I finally figured out, Hank, what they're really up to with BLM paying about Bill Gates bought that uh, the Campbell Farms in North Dakota and paid 13.5 million for something that obviously wasn't worth that. They are artificially creating a, a land value that puts you and me out of the market to buy it. Only the elite, including the federal government, can afford to buy the land, and so that's how they create peasants is by making land so valuable that only 1% can afford it. I see it playing out. Well, look at this state. 87% is federally owned. Uh, they, When they became a state, uh, battle-born in the, in the Civil War, uh, they didn't think that the state land would produce enough revenue to uh, pay for administering it, so they didn't even take their state lands. And Lincoln was in a hurry to get statehood because 
that uh, the southern half of Nevada would have been below the Mason-Dixon line, and there was not 100% sentiment. There weren't even enough people to actually make it a state. Well, this county is 97% federally owned, and now the largest landowner in this county and in Lincoln County is Southern Nevada Water Authority, which provides water to the 200,000 swimming pools in Las Vegas. At a bare minimum, they will pay you to take your grass out in Las Vegas and have plants that are of a uh, desert uh, variety. They'll uh, take your lawn out. Well, when are they going to put covers on their pools? My wife's next-door neighbor has a swimming pool. I asked her if she ever heard anybody using that swimming pool mm. once. Okay. But it's full of water all the time. Oh, yeah. So do you think the evaporation rate's pretty high? Yeah. <sighs> so what do we do? And they paid intergenerational wealth for that, those we're, ranches. We have one minute, and I'm going to go to a break. But we have to be the solution provider, Hank. In the last segment, we have to talk about what do we do about that. We can identify these problems. What do we do? We have to get the word out. You've got to, you know, somebody that says, well, this is not our problem. Well, yes, it is. We're the canary in the coal mine out here in these federal land states. And it was not supposed to happen. And then when it affects the Red River between Texas and Oklahoma, yeah. those people wake up. Or if it's that lesser prairie chicken. I want the greater prairie chicken. I'm I'm having trouble with this. <laughs> I want a big mother man. I'm big as a turkey. I want a big one. But anyhow, that lesser church, you know, got into Kansas. I mean, this is all part of the process. Yeah. But now the monarch butterfly is listed as an endangered species. How's that going to work for you? We're back with the last segment of Roll Route after this. Well, this weekend I made my way to Springfield, Missouri. Lahoma Bass Pro Shop, actually. It was the conference center that's tied with there for St. Puppy's Day. It'll be Trent on the Loose with Chris Fleming tomorrow on Tuesday. But one aspect that came through was the assistance and the respect and understanding how Protect the Harvest helps all animal owners. There was a little short little fundraiser. That wasn't the intent. But it just came together kind of at the last minute generated about $3,000 for Protect the Harvest. Every little bit helps. If you'd like to help, go to the website, protecttheharvest.com. In addition to all of that, the information is second to none that comes out from the brain trust behind the individuals that are here to empower you to do a better job protecting property rights. Protecttheharvest.com for all of the latest. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose alongside Hank Mogler checking in from North Spring Valley, Nevada. That'd be White Pine County, Nevada. And uh, yeah, exposure, sunlight, that's the real answer, but we got to get busy doing it. There's too many people not paying attention. So I guess that's well, that's our fault. We should do a better job explaining it so they recognize they do need to pay attention. Unfortunately, in my lifetime, it takes a crisis situation. Where I used to live in southeast Oregon, 30-some ranches had to get flooded out by the government on purpose to expand their influence over the, the wildlife. 
because all the wildlife, after they changed the way they ran the, the re, <coughs> refuge, all the wildlife moved to private land. The environmentalists said, well, we made a mistake. This is the stuff we should have is the rest of this land for our wildlife. But no, 62 people used to live there and 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 compete against me mm-hmm. on that federal land, which at that time it seemed like, you know, it could you could have made an argument out of that. But anyhow, it took that crisis to get everybody loaded up and into town at the meetings. Well, I think the straw that's going to break the camel's back is piling on more inflation, the price of gas. You can't talk to anybody. I was in the hardware store a couple of days ago getting some oil because you can't get oil. Oil is worse than gasoline. You can get gasoline, but you go try and get oil for a diesel pickup. And I had to go to four different places in Elko. Couldn't get a drop of it in Ely. 160-mile trip to get oil, to change the oil in a pickup. Well, the guy behind the counter, uh, I said, I just flippantly said, you know, I got me an electric pickup to get away from this deal. And that's a bunch of crap about having to plug that thing in all the time. He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, I've driven that thing for almost a month now, and I've never once plugged it in. He says, no kidding, they get that kind of mileage? And I said, yeah, I got a 25 kW diesel generator in the back. And, of course, I got him to laugh, and that's what I wanted to do anyhow. <laughs> but, I mean, that's about as intelligent as this thing is. To, to, to get your EV to work, you gotta, you got to go to a coal-fired plant in West Virginia to run the coal-fired plant or some uh, natural gas from Texas or God help us all, nuclear, mm-hmm. to fuel up your EV plus the minerals that they have to extract. The weight of it, they say, is tearing up the highways. You can't run your air conditioner or heater or you can't get 100 yards away from the house. All these things. Someday maybe they'll figure it out. But right now, all these things are coming to fruition. People are seeing and when their taxes are going to go up. The people making over $400,000 they're not going to be knocking on their doors because there's not enough of them to get the revenue back to get somebody that is interested in our bonds. Again, right back to day one, not worth a continental. That's what they used to call the American money printed after the Revolutionary War. Well, our money right now is very strong, which is hurting our trade. But one of these days, if China, Japan, Europe and other people say, I'm not going to buy an American treasury bond unless you pay me 20%, like they do in Argentina or like they do in other countries. We devaluate our money to the point, then you're going to see the riots in the streets. Netherlands is a small, small, small country. So when they got after the farmers about raising and cows, Oh, boy, here they come into the streets. Well, and they did it in India over, you know, Bangladesh. All these places are, are they're trying to 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 uh, re-institutionalize uh, monarchies, basically. <laughs> and I, I think people are going to be disgusted and we're going to maybe we'll find out. But we got to watch for this, for the wolves in sheep's clothing. 
Now you can use that, not to not to run it off the cliff. Though. I don't really think you can just say that sheep aren't followers. You can't get away with that. That's misleading. Okay, they're not followers. They've done the study. They're smart. When the coyote shows up, the wolf shows up, the bear shows up. That's why they pile up in the woods or in a ditch. They all run together because the theory that they run together is not because they're in love with each other. It's just if you can run fast enough to get to the center of the flock, Mm -hmm. you're less likely to be killed by the predator, which is a really a good example of, you know, feeding the alligator. Yeah, it is. You know. Yeah. Self-preservation. At the end of the day, you know, what's the song say? Everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want to go today <laughs> or now or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Self-preservation. And when enough people get kicked in the guts, they can't afford to eat. They, you know, a person that's starving is real easy to influence. So... You brought, bring up a thought that I hadn't even considered. You you brought semen from Australian rams, correct? Yes, yes. And as I know that what you just described is the function of predator. Most everything is function of predators, whether you're human or four-legged animal. It doesn't matter. It's all about how a predator is after you and how you respond. But in Australia... You've already told us, and we know, that they don't have predators. I don't suppose the dingoes would be a predator at some level, but they're not prevalent enough to be a big issue. If you don't have that genetic selection, inherent selection, through 30 generations in Australia, do they lose that natural instinct that they had to protect themselves from predators? You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not there. Maybe you know, I, we drove by pastures, and they said they were they had trouble with fox. Well, the fox, you know, uh, isn't as evil or in this country right. as, as a coyote. You know, I don't know that they thrill kill. They just see something, go get it, and eat it, and and feed it to their pups. Whereas a coyote or a wolf. They just get blood on their face, and they even dogs have that instinct. If a pack of dogs show up, uh, they they just slaughter animals, just thrill kill. Mountain lions are that way. No matter how fast they run, they just keep slapping and slapping until they give themselves out. Bears do that. So yeah, so that yeah, that's the maybe over there that they just jump aside and and, and sacrifice a lamb. Uh, out here, the antelope. I swear every one of them has twins. And the only way they survive is the ones that stay close to the sheep. Uh-huh. The rest of them just get mopped up. So, uh-huh. again, or you know, or stay close to humans. Like in the alfalfa circles over out of Diamond Valley and Newark Valley, they're overrun with antelope because there's a certain amount of less predation right close to the human <laughs> There's just what There's just a pattern. You think about. It. I mean, the, yeah. the thing that I learned when I went to California because there was so much to do about the Delta Schmelt and how the Delta Schmelt was an endangered species, and that ties into the monarch butterfly comment that we made earlier that was listed now as an endangered species. So basically, anybody who has any land can be considered critical habitat for the monarch butterfly. 
but all of the people who knew what was going on in the Sacramento River would tell you that we improved the habitat of the Delta Schmelt, which ultimately improves the habitat of the predator for the Delta Schmelt and puts more pressure on the Delta Schmelt. That's no different than the reintroduction of wolves, the doing whatever we can to improve the habitat of the predators of the, the livestock that men and women in Nevada, I'm just using Nevada as an example, obviously Wyoming, this would be a great example for wolves, but the government has worked at improving the habitat for the predator generation after generation. It's been the same MO, whether it's through the Endangered Species Act or just somehow to help benefit predators. Well, and also gun ownership has a lot to do now. You know, Paul Revere didn't go to two arms, two arms, two arms. The deer are coming. So another user of public land. Well, he didn't. I know I was there. I heard him. He didn't say nothing about deer hunting. Anyhow, (laughs) (laughs) taking away, you know, we have the largest army in the world, 700 million guns. Well, if all the people in Minnesota that go deer hunting and pheasant hunting and and like that had their weaponry taken away from him and, and you can't feed yourself without government control, you got a pretty pliant group of people. So if you can eliminate people hunting... Uh, that's a big step forward. So you make hunting evil, or that hasn't worked very well. So, you know, old, old Pinocchio Joe said, all you need is a shotgun. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want to go hunt lesser prairie chicken in Kansas. <laughs> but pre- introducing the predators is to get rid of the hunters because they're kill- the wolves are wiping out the elk, they're wiping out the deer, they're wiping everything out because... There's not enough sheep out there for them to eat. They were limited to their numbers by the number of sheep predation because the sheep herders and the trappers and even the government went hat in hand and in unison to limit predation so the sheep guys could survive and the cow guys. The cow guys laughed. Ah, we'll get rid of the sheep guys. Ha, ha, ha. Well, guess what? The coyote didn't say, oh, darn, there's no sheep to eat. Let's let's not go eat those little baby calves or those yearlings. Well, yeah. So now, animal damage control, wildlife services right here spends more time and money working on the cowboys as they ever as they do on the sheep guys because there's no sheep guys left. And the cowboys, you know, I mean, so all of these things, yeah, it has nothing to do with anything but controlling the food supply. I guess I I can't think of another logical common sense reason to be reintroducing predators i mean even when i was a kid bull trout were considered a trash fish canada is full of bull trout or dolly vardens whatever you want to call it. i know maybe not dolly vardens but anyhow they've got that fish up there well they stopped all kinds of things in oregon over the bull trout well it was illegal to throw a bull trout back in the creek and I remember catching one in the North Fork of the Malheur River, two or three of them. And, and uh, the guy I was fishing with said, oh, i throw them on the bank. They're not worth eating. Don't throw them back. It's against the law. So what about that Delta Schmelt? The Delta Schmuck is what I'm thinking about. <laughs> That'll do it. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting Roland Urban America. 
For Hank Vogler, I'm Trent Luce. Remember, all roads do lead to a roll route. I realize most of you listening are not going to be at the Oliver County Fair this coming weekend, but you can go to Gold Buckle Tack and keep track of what you need for all of your western supplies for riding, whatever, ranching, what goldbuckletack.net.